Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCree, your host, and today I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob's one of the members of the Adult Explore the Bible team. Bob, thank you for being with us today. Always a pleasure, Dwayne. Thank you for having me. We're going to be looking at session eight of our winter 21-22 study of Ezekiel and Daniel. This is going to be our first lesson out of the book of Daniel. If you'll remember, Daniel was deported in 605 BC. Uh, That's the first deportation that took place under Nebuchadnezzar. So this is early in that process. Jerusalem's still standing. The temple's still standing uh, at this point. So we just want to keep that in mind. Daniel's probably a teenager at this point. Uh, We're looking at chapter 1, verses 8 through 21 in this first lesson. In these verses, we are focusing on the idea about living with integrity. Uh, Verses 8 through 10, we've entitled those verses as a commitment expressed. Verses 11 through 16, a test passed. And verses 17 through 21, a recognized difference. So let's just look at those those verses real quickly here. Verses 8 through 10. In these verses, Daniel committed to follow Jewish eating practices, so he approached the assigned eunuch about not breaking that commitment with the food given by the king. The eunuch expressed his hesitancy due to his fear of the king if Daniel and his friends showed signs of malnourishment. A thing for us to learn here is that believers should explain our reasons for holy living when asked to compromise. In verses 11 through 16, the guard that's assigned to Daniel and his friends was willing to follow a 10-day trial of eating vegetables and drinking water. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier than the men eating the king's food, so the guard allowed them to continue their diet. A main point for us is that believers who refuse to compromise God's standards will be vindicated. Verses 17 through 21 Here, Daniel and his three friends were granted knowledge and understanding by God. Then the four men were interviewed by the king, or when they were interviewed by the king, excuse me, they stood above all others. The point for us is that believers find knowledge and understanding when we trust God. So here we have this confrontation over the food and them being asked to compromise. An item that may help you introduce this lesson, by the way, is pack item 10. Uh, that pack item is a handout. It looks at Babylonian and Persian kings. It's gonna, it also has some of the kings of Judah that were Jewish listed on, on the sheet as well. This will help you give folks an understanding of the duration of, the, of Daniel's ministry. Uh, it'll help you see some of the names of people he's going to be uh, relating to. So you may want to keep that handy, use it throughout the study of Daniel because there'll be times that you'll see names and you can point to those people listed on that handout. Bob, let me just jump right in here with this question. How does this passage help us understand how to approach someone in authority over us? Yeah, I I think it's really important when we start thinking about Daniel um, and, and as our listeners prepare their lessons or study their lessons to always go back to what the book of Daniel is all about. And actually what it's not about. <laughs> it, specifically, it's not about Daniel, even though it has his name and it's he shows up in just about every chapter. Daniel, it, the book is not about Daniel. The book 
is about God's sovereignty over individuals and nations. Everything that we see, starting here with chapter one, all the way through, constantly reveals God's power over people, over leaders, whether they're Jewish leaders or whether they're Gentile leaders, whether they're Babylonians or Persians or Medes. All through the book, we continually see that God is at work and God is the one in control. And I just want to encourage our listeners to keep going back to that truth time and time again as they go through these lessons in Daniel, because it's really, really important. As far as the question that you're asking, uh, the phrase that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, you kind of grow where you're planted. Uh, Daniel was in a really tough situation. He, as you mentioned, he had been exiled, been deported in 605, the first of the three Babylonian deportations, and he was definitely not in charge. He, he had no authority, he had no power. Uh, he was a captive, um, and, you know, he was brought to this strange place. Uh, they tried to change it. They changed his name. They tried to indoctrinate him through education. Um, they tried to do everything that they could to basically steal his Jewishness away from him. And so Daniel determined in his heart, is what chapter one says, that he wasn't going to let that happen, that he was not going to compromise, that he was not going to give in to the cultural pressure. And instead, he was going to maintain and even strengthen his commitment to God. And because of that, that was the filter through which he, he addressed the people who were in authority over him. That is what guided his direction when he came to people like just the people who were watching over him as a slave or as a, as a captive. And then later when he faced kings and other leaders, uh, he always filtered everything through his commitment to God. And I think that's really important for folks to understand. I think there's three things that he did that we can see that, that are specific to dealing with authority. And they're good principles that we can apply today. Uh, first of all, he determined, where, he determined where he was going to draw the line. Uh, he knew that there was a place that he could not go. They could change his name. They could teach him about Babylonian culture, Babylonian language, Babylonian history. Uh, he could basically graduate with honors from Babylonian university. But he, there was a line that he would not cross. And in this case, the food and the drink, was that was that line. For him, that was the point of no return. If he crossed that line, uh, he would seriously damage his relationship with God. And so he, he understood that there are some hills worth dying on and some hills that are not. And the food and the drink was one that he was willing to die on. That's important for us to remember, because as we face things, we're going to have options as to, you know, some areas we're going to be able to work with the system, other areas we're not. And so we have to have the discernment and the wisdom to know which is which. The other thing he did was uh, he, he, he was going to show honor to the human authorities and still stick to his values. That's humility. Um, it's hard to have sometimes, <laughs> even when you're not the one calling the shots. But the, 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 the benefit of that is that it actually endeared him, in a sense, to the people that he was ministering to or the people that he was, he was answering to. Um, because he was willing to, to show respect and to show honor, even though, um, even while being strong in his stand for God, it made him a, a lot more attractive uh, to them. Sometimes we get so worked up that uh, we want to take our stand for God and we're going to be obnoxious. And we're going to be, you know, we're going to, we're going to do whatever it takes. And sometimes there's a place for that. But most of the time, there's a way to work around things. And to, and to have, instead of an either or, have a both and. And Daniel was willing to, to take the time and was humble enough to look into the situation and figure out what that was. 
And the third thing he did was he, he suggested alternatives. Um, and, he, and he promised to let the results speak for themselves. He was willing to, um, to take the test and let it be the determining factor on how he would go in the future. Um, of course, he was really, really confident that God was going to work things out in his favor. And so it was easier for him maybe to, to accept that test uh, or to suggest the test. But um, I, th I think sometimes we do that. We don't take the time. We get so worked up. We're so mad or we're so upset or we're so offended and, that we don't take the time to think, okay, well, how, how else could this work out? What are some of the options where I can show my commitment to God and yet still honor the people who are in authority over me? You know, there was going to come times, and we'll see these. There were going to come times when Daniel and, and even his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was going to be times when they would not be able to work things out. There were going to be times, and they, fiery furnaces and lion's dens were on the way. You know, they were going to have to take a stand against the culture, against the authorities. But in, in this case, Daniel was wise in that he was able to um, kind of take a deep breath, look at the situation, pray for discernment, and work within the system in a way that didn't compromise his, his, uh, his values. And I think that's a, good, that's, a good, uh, that's a good testimony for us, a good example for us. One thing that we find in the leader guide, uh, in the options, it, underneath the title discussion, it deals with the, the key doctrine for this particular session. The key doctrine is on religious liberty. It states that God alone is Lord of the conscience and he has left it free from the doctrines and command, commandments of men, uh, which are contrary to his word and not contained in it. Then it points to James 4.12. The idea the, in the option is for us to read that doctrine, read John, uh, James 4.12, and then have this discussion using this question. As a follower of Christ, striving to maintain integrity in the faith, how are we to respond to those who place us in compromising situations? Now, that could be a great discussion question that, that builds on some of what Bob's just shared. Uh, it could help us uh, begin to have that conversation because we're going to deal with this issue again. This idea of religious liberty is not the first time we're going to find it in Daniel. It's just introduced here. We're going to find it again. Uh, with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We're also going to find it uh, again with Daniel and the lion's den. So this issue of religious liberty, uh, it keeps coming up throughout these studies of Daniel. So this is a great place for us to introduce it. Let me just go ahead and ask about the food, Bob. What was the big deal about the food in the first place? Vegetables and water do, do not appeal to me. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're a carnivore. I know that. You, yes, you're from Texas. Yes. You like your you like your brisket. Uh, yes. I've eaten with you enough to know. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really um, my mind goes back to a few years ago. Uh, a guy named John Miller wrote a book called QBQ, and that stands for Question Behind the Question. And basically, what what Miller says is that you are responsible for your personal responsibility. <laughs> that no one else can take that from you, that you have, you have an obligation to take personal responsibility for yourself and your actions. And the way he suggested doing that is by starting to learn to ask the right questions. And so as I think about Daniel, I think that's sort of where he is right now. He has decided in his heart that he is going to take personal responsibility for his walk with God. And so kind of using a sanctified imagination, if you will, I could almost see Daniel asking questions like, you know, 
what do I need to do to honor my relationship with God in this weird kind of setting that I'm in now? Or, or how can I find a way to work within this system to, to hold on to my faith and yet honor the people that, um, that God has placed me under? So those kind of questions are the, sort of the where we are. It just happened to be that the food was the first thing that, that he faced. We're going to see through this book that he is constantly faced with choices to compromise or not to compromise both in the core passages that we study and even in the background passages we study. Food issue is the very first opportunity that he has to test his resolve, to test what's going to happen. So the food probably had at least one or two things that that, that were wrong with it, according to, to what Daniel was trying to do. Uh, it it almost, almost absolutely, definitely uh, violated kosher laws, which... Daniel was committed to keeping even while he was not in Israel. He, he was the, the, the food that the Babylonians would have served likely would have violated everything that he had seen in the Mosaic law. Along with that, even if the food itself was not bad, the animals that it came from were not unclean. Um, it may have been prepared the wrong way. Um, there, there may have been, you know, the Jews had a very strict guidelines about uh, cooking the meat until the blood was all gone and not serving the meat with the blood. And it very well could have been that, that the preparation would have violated Daniel's conscience and violated his commitment to God. And then there's also an issue that, that scholars say a lot of times this food would have been offered to idols before it was served. And so for Daniel, that would have been a tacit affirmation of idolatry, uh, a tacit agreement with false gods. And, you know, Paul actually dealt with this centuries later, so it was an ongoing thing throughout Scripture. Uh, he dealt with it with the Corinthians. But Daniel had this opportunity to kind of look around and say, no, this is not good. This is not dangerous. So how am I going to take personal responsibility for my faith? What am I going to do? He just continued to stand. He continued to do the things he was supposed to do because this really wasn't about food. It was more about faith. And so uh, his, um, his commitment was to God. And he was willing to do whatever it took um, to make sure that he stood, stood firm in that commitment. Again, we talked about this in the last questions. He was able to figure out a way with God's help to, to kind of have a both and instead of an either or. Uh, he was able to, to honor God and show respect to his leaders. But um, if there was going to come a choice between the two, and we'll see this later on, if he was going to have to face a choice, he was going to choose God. I, again, I, I mentioned this kind of earlier, but I think it's kind of interesting that that this was this this line in the sand that that Daniel chose to that chose not to cross. That uh, in spite of all the other things that he 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 did, and some people may wonder why in the world did they let him change his name? Why in the world did they let him? Why he did? Why why was he so willing to go into this uh, to Babylon University or whatever it was? Well, it should be it should be noted that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian name. It is. That's true. That's true. Belteshazzar is Daniel's Babylonian name, but we only see it used a couple of times in the book. He's called Daniel throughout the book. He's still hanging on to his identity throughout the book. Yeah, maybe it's just he was writing maybe the book. <laughs> it might have been. But, you know, people may wonder about that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think what it comes down to is that Daniel knew that, that the food was a completely different matter. Uh, you know, you can change my name, you can teach me all you want. And the other side of this is that, that if he, even if he didn't, he didn't particularly adopt his, his 
new Babylonian name. We know that his, the Babylonians did. And so having that name and having that education really opened doors for him to minister in ways that he never could have if he would have tried to fight against that. How does a testing like this open the door for us to share with others about our beliefs? Yeah, the tests, the tests they're inevitable. There's three, what I call immutable truths about tests one is and the first one is that they're inevitable they're going to happen the second one is that they're never easy and the third one is that god never wastes them and so daniel daniel could have fought against things he could have he could have uh kind of beat the tried to beat the system or rebel against the system but instead he sort of embraced those laws he he was and, and as a as a result he was able to create a legacy that even gentile pagan leaders could recognize and he did it through those three principles. So, for instance, no, n- number one, if knowing that the tests are inevitable keeps us from being surprised. It doesn't mean that we have to be paranoid or we have to be looking for evil around every corner, but we can prepare ourselves if we know they're coming. And, and Peter even said that in, in his first letter to, to his audience, that we, we need to be ready to give an answer for our faith. So understanding that tests are inevitable helps us do that. The fact that we, when we remember that tests are not fun, then that helps us reflect God even when things are not comfortable. You know, the funny thing is that, that people are rarely attracted to easy faith, but they are incredibly attracted to faith that stands up during tests. That, that faith that stands up during difficult times means something to them. Uh, they connect with that better. And so while they, they may not like to admit it at the time, when they see a believer who stands for God in the middle of hard times, even when things are not easy, when the tests that they're going through are difficult, they know in their heart of hearts that they need something like that. And so they're more willing to, to examine it, to evaluate it, and maybe to embrace it. And the third thing that remembering that God never wastes a test is really important because, you know, that again, that shows the world that our faith is not some shadow. It's substance. It's real. And it's something they can lean into. And again, it's something that's very attractive to them. So, you know, Dave, Daniel and his friends, they, they had a grasp on these immutable truths, and they were willing to see God in the midst of this challenge and to follow him and to see where he led and to, to, to kind of work, work their way through that. I remember when I was in graduate school for my journalism degree, not in seminary, but for journalism, you know, I, I kind of went through a really tough patch that first quarter. And my roommate, who was not a believer, he, he was, he just gotten out of the army and he was pretty cynical about everything, uh, including religion at the time. But he, I remember he looked, he looked at me one day and says, why don't you just admit that you're, you know, <laughs> going to, that, that you, that you're hopeless. I think it's kind of what he said. And I told him, I said, no, I'm not hopeless. I'm struggling, but I'm not hopeless because I never lose my hope because I know who's in charge. I know that God's in charge. And I never, you know, we had conversations like that uh, from time to time during that, during that term. But and I never got a chance to really lead him to Christ. But I, I do know from talking to him later and from stuff that he wrote to me later that that my witness to him was not lost. It wasn't wasted. God was able to use the difficult time that I was going through with anxiety and stress uh, to make a difference in his life. And you know, hopefully one of these days it'll I'll find out that he did and end up uh, coming to Christ. But you know, God uses those opportunities and those those tests those doors don't open unless the tests occur. And so we just kind of have to be open to that. We never know who's watching us at that point. That's know? exactly right. Uh, let's, be, let's, let's finish up with this one question here. And that, that is, how does obedience and faithfulness 
lead to gaining God's wisdom. Because we see that here in this passage, that their obedience and faithfulness, God granted them wisdom as a result of it. Yeah. Well, you can almost ask the question the other way. How can you expect to have God's wisdom if you're not faithful and if you're not obedient? Uh, you know, God, God is not going to God's not going to grant something to you if you're not willing to follow him. He's, if you're not willing to lean into him, he's under no obligation to, to give you any benefit from it. But Daniel, that wasn't where he was, obviously. He, he understood that, that obedience and faithfulness to God go hand in hand and that you can't really have one without the other and that you can't have wisdom without, without each of those parts of your life. Uh, I kind of like to think of it as a cycle that sort of renews itself over and over again. You start out with being obedient even when it doesn't make sense or when you don't understand, you still obey. And as you do that, you get closer to God. Then as you get closer to God, you begin to see his thoughts and his ways a little better. Now, you know, Isaiah said that God's thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. It just blows us away. So we're never going to understand it completely. But the closer we get to God, the more we see of him, and the more we understand his way of thinking. And then as we do that, the next step in the cycle would be, to, to discern what he's trying to do in a situation. We take what we learn about God and we figure out how it's going to be applied. And then the next step is we, we start imitating it. We start doing the things of God. We start acting the way God would act, um, start speaking the way God would speak, start thinking the way God would think. And really that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not some book knowledge. It's not some intellectual achievement. It's not, it's not something that you get a degree in from school. Wisdom is just the being able to practically apply God's principles to everyday life. There's a lot of folks who are blessed with incredible amounts of wisdom who you know, never graduated high school, never went to college, you know, but, they're, but they're the wisest people on the face of the earth because they're connected with God and they understand what he wants and they're willing to live that out every day. And then, of course, as you do that, as you leave, live it out every day, then that funnels more into another level of obedience. And so the cycle starts all over again. You go from obedience to discernment to uh, application to wisdom, and it just continues to grow. And it's going to keep that keep going that way until we see Jesus face to face. We are never at a point in our lives where we stop growing. We're never at a point where we learn complete obedience. There's always going to be some, some rough edge that needs to be sanded, some, some area that needs to be refined. And so God allows us to do that. But it's that it all starts with that obedience. And as we obey, we get to know him. And as we get to know him, we live it out every day. And that causes more obedience. I was reading and thinking about some of this stuff. Uh, you know, Stephen, Stephen Miller wrote the New American Commentary for Daniel. And I was kind of flipping through it and, and looking through some of this stuff. And he, he made the point that Daniel's story is is an example of what he called an incremental blessing of obedience. One little incremental, you know, increments, not much. It's just a piece of something. And so incremental obedience, time and time again, we see Daniel making a good choice here that leads to a good choice here that leads to a good choice here. And over time, over the course of you know, 70 or 80 years or however long he was in Babylon, he built a legacy uh, and he built a reputation. And, and really, again, it, the book of Daniel is not about Daniel, so it's not about his reputation. It's not about his legacy. It's about his God. And so when people thought about Daniel, they thought about his God. That's a good word for us to, to end on and remember the fact that, that this book, even though Daniel's name on it, it is about God and God working through the life of faithful people to bring about his purposes. 
Bob, thank you for visiting with us today. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Uh, let me encourage our listeners out there to take a look at the blog post found on goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. They're posted every Thursday. A new post is added at that point. Uh, these posts will help you better understand Explore the Bible resources and the idea behind the resources. Once again, that's goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. Thank you for listening to us today. We'll hope you encourage other teachers to tune in next week. We'll be looking at session eight. Mike Livingston will be joining me. We'll be looking at Daniel three with the main idea that believers must stand for God regardless of the potential cost. Thank you.